0: If you've got your Bible, please open up to First Corinthians chapter two. First Corinthians chapter two. Now, while you're doing that, this is uh, one of our currently one of the things that our family enjoys doing. It's a PlayStation game called Knowledge Is Power, uh, and it's a it's a game where you challenge your family to a battle of brain power in an interactive and a competitive quiz. Uh, on the PlayStation and the idea is that you answer rapid-fire general knowledge questions, Uh, you have to complete challenges and then you use special power-ups to kind of sabotage your opponents and overcome your rivals to battle your way to the top of the pyramid of knowledge Uh, and it's fun, we enjoy it, Um, just for the record the last person that won in our family when we are playing this was Devon so that shows you the limit uh, or or the, the ability that we all have. Um, but knowledge is power is one of those parallels between the city of Corinth in the first century and our 21st century world. It, there was then, as there is now, an emphasis on human wisdom, on human knowledge and on human understanding and in our day it would seem that human understanding and human wisdom and human knowledge are incredible and almost limitless. From the perspective of just simply raw data, we know more about the world today than any previous generation or culture that has existed. We're all aware of the power and knowledge that's available at the tips of our fingers thanks to Google. Just consider some of the human wisdom and the human knowledge and the human achievement of our own city of Bristol. So this is a we live in a city that is steeped in history. It's known for Brunel's iconic. Uh, engineering feats like the suspension bridge in Clifton or the SS Great Britain on the harbour side. We have a proud maritime history, so, John Cabot set sail from Bristol aboard the Matthew and was uh, the first European explorer to reach North America. We're a city that's bristling with creativity, whether that be Banksy's street art or Aardman Animation's Wallace and Gromit. Uh, whether that be uh, the thriving music scene that's produced such uh, incredible uh, music makers as massive attack, Ronnie Size and Banana Rama, uh, whether it's the innovation that Bristol was the home of the first uh, female doctor in England or in America, Elizabeth Blackwell. She was born and grew up here. We know about the proud aviation history where the Concorde was made in Bristol. We know about the engineering feats of, uh, is it Professor Burgess, who helped uh, the British Olympic cycling team to gold and glory. In education, the University of Bristol is ranked in the top 60 of the world's greatest and best universities. It has a reputation for research, tackling some of the world's most pressing issues like climate change, infection and immunity, uh, information security, nanotechnology and others. Former students that have come through Bristol University are entertainers like David Walliams or Matt Lucas or the uh, Gruffalo author Julia Donaldson. Perhaps the most famous former former alumni of the university is Paul Dirac who was a Nobel, Pri- Nobel Prize winning theoretical physicist. He was uh, regarded as one of the most significant physicists of the 20th century and he made fundamental contributions to the development of both quantum mechanics and quantum electrodynamics and i don't know what that means who knows the breakthroughs the breakthroughs that might come uh, from our city and the minds that are at work whether it's a cancer cure or something that helps us in the fight against the coronavirus and that's just bristol we haven't even begun to talk about other parts of our nation and other things around the world the human wisdom that we have is Uh, has achieved so much it really has and yet in first corinthians chapters one and two paul is painting with vivid colors the contrast between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of god and it seems like he comes down really hard on the wisdom of the world seven times in verses 17 and 19 and 20 and 21 and 22 and then to chapter 2 verses 1 and 4 he seems to almost berate worldly wisdom and human wisdom and he's gone to town to expose it and effectively empty it of any and all value and consequent attractiveness. He's he's put it aside, pressed it aside, pushed it aside. And you would get the impression that Paul, uh, from Paul, that there is no place for human wisdom in the life of the Christian. That you would, if you misread what he was saying here, you would think that Paul is encouraging Christians to downplay the importance and the veracity of of human wisdom, of of scientific knowledge and, and worldly achievements that come through brain power and thinking. And that as Christians we should just mindlessly check our brains at the door, that we should just leave aside all of that and just focus on the weak and foolish message of the cross. Now Paul is not against wisdom in and of itself, he's aware of human wisdom and human achievement through wisdom. We even in, in fact see him um, in, interact with it in Acts 17 when he's in Athens, that centre of worldly wisdom at the time. But what he is against is a, is a wisdom, is all human wisdom that stands against God, that stands in arrogant independence of God and is opposed to that message of the cross. In fact, in the passage that we're just about to read now, Paul will tell us that there is a wisdom, that Christians should pursue, that Christians are commanded to seek, that Christians should cherish and that Christians should speak about. And so as we come to our passage this morning, Paul would have us would say to us probably something like this, that all Christians should be philosophers. And that word philosophy just means lover of wisdom or philosopher means lover of wisdom. That all Christians should be seekers of wisdom but it is a particular kind of wisdom. So let's read together from <clears throat> excuse me, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 to 16. This is God's word to us. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which god decreed before the ages for our glory none of the rulers of this age understood this for if they had they would have not they would not have crucified the lord of glory but as it is written what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined what god has prepared for those who love him these things And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. But the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. This morning we're going to talk about true spirituality. And as I pondered over this passage for this week, it seems to me that Paul is answering three questions about the wisdom that he speaks of. So three questions that will form our three points this morning. Firstly, he's going to ask the question, what is this wisdom that he speaks about? Secondly, he's going to answer, where does this wisdom come from? And then thirdly, he's going to answer the question, how do you get this wisdom? So let's begin with this first uh, point. What is this wisdom that Paul speaks of? What is this wisdom that he speaks of in these verses? In verse 6 he says, yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. Then in verse 7 he describes the wisdom that he imparts as a secret and hidden wisdom of God. And then in verse 13 he adds that we impart this wisdom not taught by human wisdom and human words but taught by the Holy Spirit. So what is this wisdom? Paul is distinguishing his wisdom that he teaches from the wisdom of the age in verse 6 and from human wisdom in verse 13 and in verse 7 he calls it God's wisdom. Now in verse 7 he goes on to describe this wisdom that it has to do with what God decreed before the ages for our glory. Then in verse 8, he says, the rulers of this world couldn't understand the wisdom of God because if they did understand it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And then in verse 9, he quotes Isaiah 64, verse 4, that tells us that God's wisdom has to do with what God has prepared for those who love him. So in answer to the question, well, what is this wisdom that Paul is teaching? And what is this wisdom that Christians should pursue and understand? Well the answer is this, it's God's wisdom but it's a wisdom that will take an eternity to answer so we're only going to scratch the surface this morning. We will never exhaust the wisdom of God no matter how much of God we discover but we can say this and this is something that I hope is encouraging and full of hope that whatever the wisdom of God is in its entirety it's surely no less than this. It is the exercise of God's infinite eternal mind to devise a plan by which sinful people might enter into the glorious future that he has prepared. Think about the song that we've sung from time to time. The, the glory of the cross that was written by our friend Bob Coughlin. That, where the first verse says this. What wisdom once devised a plan where all our sin and pride was placed upon the perfect lamb who suffered, bled and died. It's the wisdom of a sovereign God whose greatness will be shown when those who crucified his son rejoice around his throne. And then in verse two, he goes on to describe the righteousness of God that has justified sinners and given us freedom. That is the wisdom. It's the wisdom of the Lord of glory. And it's a wisdom that is for our glory. As we enter into a life, an eternal life, that God has given to us and shared with us through Jesus Christ. So in his wisdom, God has decided upon Christ and him crucified as the way of salvation for sinners. Paul tells us long before uh, time and space began, long before anything was created, before the ages, it was God's plan from eternity past stretching into eternity future to bring sinners to himself, to make them his people through the work of his son on a cross. And in that work, where Christ and him crucified has taken place we now through repentance and faith and new life get to enter in and share in that glory it's not a secret and mysterious wisdom that is in addition to Christ and him crucified no the secret and hidden wisdom has now been revealed and it is Christ and him crucified the wisdom of God has been, if you like, embodied in the person of Jesus. We've seen it in who he is and all that he has done for us. That's the wisdom that we're to pursue. Now, question number two is, What is or where does this wisdom come from? Where does this wisdom come from? Now, in verse six, Paul again tells us that we impart wisdom to the mature but it's a wisdom that is not of this age and it's not from the rulers of this age so it's it's not from this world and it's not espoused by the people of this world so as we said human wisdom can achieve so much so much can be accomplished through sheer brain power but the one thing that human wisdom will never lead us to is the wisdom of god You know, just go back to those things that our city has accomplished and the people of our city have achieved. Despite our fine record of brilliant and creative and innovative minds, despite the fact that the world's wisdom can split the atom, put men on the moon, perform brain surgery and create artificial intelligence, All the beautiful minds, all of the remarkable creatives, all of the deepest thinkers and the most charismatic leaders of our nation and of history cannot tell us what God is like or how we can find him and know him. All human wisdom is limited, it's temporal, it's fleeting, it's centred on the here and now of this world and this age and Paul tells us it will pass away just like the rulers of this age, the influencers, the wise, the scholars, the philosophers. Empires rise and fall, fashions ebb and flow, experts come and go, and yet God has not left us in the dark when it comes to the wisdom of God. Where all human eyes and ears and brains have failed, God reveals. God's wisdom does not come by achievement or discovery. It comes through revelation. Look with me again at verses 9 and 10. For here we see clearly that this divine wisdom does not originate with any man. That because it's a secret and hidden wisdom, there is no way that human beings could ever begin to understand it had it not been revealed to us. It has to be revealed revealed no eye has seen no ear has heard no heart or mind of man can ever imagine what God has prepared for those who love him it's it's a humbling thing all of the religions of the world, and all of the scientific research and exploration that's done in the name of human wisdom is all shaped by man's desire to reach up to the ultimate being, to make sense of the universe through our own unaided efforts, that we're seeking to climb a ladder of knowledge and enlightenment and wisdom in order to reach our idea of heaven. But the Bible is clear, particularly in places like Romans 3, that no one seeks God. No one. However, God has come down to us. God has sought us out. God has condescended to our level to make himself known to us, to reveal his gracious rescue plan in Jesus Christ and him crucified. The wisdom of God is not the product of a human mind or a certain level of intelligence or education or experience for which I'm grateful. It would never have occurred to us. It would never have occurred to me except by divine revelation that opens our eyes to see Christ. In verses 10 through 13, Paul uses an illustration, an analogy to help us try and understand this a little bit further. (coughs) He says this, among humans, um, a person's thoughts and, and a person's concerns are known only to the spirit of that person. So what goes on in your head and in your heart is known only to you and to me and it is only if that person reveals that that others can be privy to that secret and hidden information if I desire to reveal it then you can know my thoughts and feelings it's a little bit like reading an autobiography so this is Alex Ferguson's autobiography who am I to know the inner workings of the greatest British manager of all time who was the manager of the greatest football team of all time um, who am I to know his thoughts who am I to know what he thinks about David Beckham uh, or Victoria Beckham unless he will reveal it and he puts it in his autobiography so that I can know in the same way Paul tells us it, it's like that with God that no one knows the minds and the in, the mind and the inner workings of God except the spirit of God but God has willed to impart his wisdom through the spirit he tells us that in verse 12 We've not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. So the wisdom of God is a gift that comes to us through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Now, question number three. How do you get this wisdom? How do you get this wisdom? How do you get it? Well, Paul tells us in verse six that he imparts this wisdom to the mature. Now, on first reading, you might think, oh, well, does that exclude me? Because I'm not very mature. I've only been a Christian three months, three years. Or maybe you've been a Christian 30 years and you think, man, I'm not as mature as I hoped I would be by this time. So am I missing out on this maturity? And this um, does my maturity mean that I'll miss out on God's wisdom and getting it? Is Paul describing for us two different classes of Christian? Is he saying, well, the religious elite and the pious, they can know this wisdom. But all of you ordinary run of the mill, second class Christians, you've got to uh, rise up and, and ascend to a higher level, a higher level of spirituality before you can get in on this wisdom. Is that what Paul is saying? Well, I don't think so. No. And I think verse 13 helps us to understand verse six. So in verse 6 Paul says we impart this wisdom to the mature but then in verse 13 he says that the things that are taught by the spirit that he interprets spiritual truths to those who are spiritual or in some translations to those who are spiritual people and the word mature and the word spiritual here I think are synonymous that the mature are the spiritual and the spiritual are the mature. So Paul is not speaking about a super spiritual elite class of Christians who are particularly religious and particularly zealous in their prayer and meditation and Bible reading. Now, he tells us that the spiritual are the mature and the mature are the spiritual and the mature and the spiritual are anybody who has the Holy Spirit. We see this in Galatians chapter 5 and six in those verses and paul is um calling believers to walk by the holy spirit to be led by the holy spirit to bear the fruit of the holy spirit and then in galatians 6 verse 1 he says this if anyone is caught in any transgression you who are spiritual you who are led by the spirit You who walk by the Spirit, you who bear the fruit of the Spirit, should go and restore your brother or sister in a spirit of gentleness. So, in other words, spiritual people, the mature that can receive this wisdom, are people in whom God is working by his Holy Spirit. They are spiritual people who have experienced the newness of life that the Spirit brings, that they're being transformed into the likeness of Christ by the work of the Spirit. And that they're showing the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. That the wisdom that God gives, how do you get it? You get it through the Spirit. You get it through the work of the Spirit in breathing new life into you, in bringing you from death to life. So Paul tells us in verse 13 that he interprets spiritual truths, i.e. he teaches the wisdom of God, the revelation that he has received through the spirit of God. He teaches that to those who are spirit filled, spiritual people. He goes on to explain this further in verses 14 to 16, where he describes the unspiritual or natural man and the spiritual he tells us that there is a natural man an unspiritual man or woman who is merely human who does not have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them and because they do not have the spirit within them they do not receive the things of the spirit they do not receive the wisdom of God that these people are unwilling to approve of and to welcome and to accept and to believe the wisdom of God that they remain folly to him or her and it's not simply that they can't receive it it's that they will not receive it So it's not just a a lack of inability, it's a lack of of willingness to respond. So yeah, we could say people can understand the cross and summarise its facts to a degree, but apart from the Holy Spirit, our human hearts are so proud, they're so sinful, they're so rebellious towards God that we cannot grasp his wisdom. Our sin and our self-centeredness and our rebellion against God and our rejection of him is so deep that we cannot and will not see the wisdom of God in in Christ and him crucified for what it is. Without the spirit, we cannot see just how lost or sinful or wayward or dead we are. We cannot see our need of a savior and we cannot overcome such lostness and such deadness in our own strength. But the spiritual or mature man or woman, one who has received the work of the Spirit in new life and regeneration, we can see things clearly. Paul tells us we can discern spiritual truths because now we have the mind of Christ. So by the miracle of the new birth, by the working of the Holy Spirit, by the regeneration that he brings about, that Jesus speaks of in John chapter 3, light floods into our darkened minds and hearts. So that all who belong to Christ can see things from his perspective. That we can recognise the message of the cross in all of its apparent foolishness and weakness for what it truly is. The wisdom and power of God unto salvation. So that's the wisdom that Paul speaks of. That's where it comes from and that's how you get it. But now what do we do with it? How do we respond to this this morning? What should we do with this passage this morning? Well it should affect two different groups of people firstly if you're watching this and you are not a Christian at the moment if you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ if you haven't embraced the wisdom of God in the cross of Jesus Christ and welcomed the Holy Spirit into your life this passage is a sober warning and a wonderful encouragement and invitation it's a passage this morning that should cause you to consider the hopeless condition that you're in without Jesus Christ and it should consider how perfect help you consider how perfectly suited the gospel is to your need. That God has provided a savior to die in your place, to free you from your sins and forgive you. And it should help you to consider how dangerous it is to be held back by our pride. Because God has given to those who will believe an unimaginable, glorious future. So we've got to drop. Pride. We've got to drop all of the props of self-exaltation and self-sufficiency and we've got to throw ourselves upon Christ. We've got to repent of our sins, which means turn away from them and turn to Jesus and, and in faith receive who he is and all that he has done on our personal behalf. It means to believe and to be saved. And if you're in that position this morning, then please talk to a Christian that you know, someone from the church, email us, text us, call us, get the number off the website, contact us, because we would be delighted to speak to you about these things more. But if you are a Christian this morning, the words here that we see should remind us that the only way that we have come to see the beauty and wisdom and power of God is because he has opened our eyes to see it. And we have come to receive his life and his peace and his joy and his forgiveness and his grace through his mercy to us. This passage should increase our reliance upon him. It should remind us that everything that we have is by revelation and a free gift of God towards us. We didn't accomplish it. We didn't achieve it. We didn't even discover it. It was revealed to us and it was through the Spirit who brought us from death to life. He has overcome our rebellion. He has subdued our pride and he has freed us to see the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ. So that should lead us to gratitude. It should lead us to thankfulness. It should lead us to praise for the grace of God in our lives and it should lead us to delight all the more in Jesus. It should lead us to increased humility as we recognise all that we deserved and all that we have received in Christ. And it should lead us to mission, to go and tell others the glorious good news of the message of the cross, that forgiveness of sins can be found in Christ alone. Let's pray.